Good morning, church. Man, I always get uh, I always get broken up when I when I try to sing that song. I can't sing it. <laughs> I get through like I get through like the first chorus. I'm like good, and then I'm like, I'm bringing it back to. I'm like, man, yeah, it's not it's not about us. It's about him. It's about what he's done. You know, we we tend to muck everything up when we try to put our insight and our own spin on it. We'd be wise to just take our cues from the Holy Spirit and allow him to guide us in all the endeavors he has us to get involved in. Amen. Um, I'm sure many of you know that uh, over the last 48 hours, there's been much... uh, Physical warfare in Israel with Hamas attacking Israel. Uh, they're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. They were their Sabbath day and Hamas decided to attack them when they were, you know, having their Sabbath. So uh, there's been a lot of always this ongoing conflict there, but uh, it's uh, it's pretty intense. They're saying that this is the... The most serious attack on Israel since 1973. So it is an act of war. They are in the midst of war right now. It's been declared that. Um, so with that, I just want to pray real quick and, and lift up Israel. We, I mean, as Christians, that's, that's they're, they're uh, obviously they're his chosen people, the descendants of, of Israel. We know that we've been grafted in. So Jew and Gentile alike are now the new spiritual Israel. But there are the bloodline of uh, of the Jewish people, and they are his chosen people. So for Christians, as believe, Gentile believers, it'd be wise that we would pray for them all the time, and they're actually a barometer for us to gauge what's going on within you know, the world and the, and the world culture and what's going on with Israel. Because when we see things going off over there, you know things are, are coming up soon. So I uh, just want to lift them up and uh, pray for them real quick. Father God, we... Just thank you for the fact that you you've orchestrated this whole this whole plan from before the beginning of time, and that you you have a, a special, unique people group that you chose to to uh, display who you are through them, so the rest of the world could come to know who the true and living God is. And no matter um, whether it's been uh, you know Pharaoh or or Hitler or uh, you know Saddam Hussein or anybody else who's tried to eradicate uh, the people of Israel off that small chunk of land in the Middle East, no one has ever been successful because you said you would never lose one of them no one is going to pluck them out of your hands and so we thank you for them we pray that for your provisions we pray that you would uh, sustain them in this time of turmoil we pray for hamas lord we pray for for muslims to get saved we pray that uh, those firing off rockets and shooting guns that they would there would there would be there would be a divine intervention a supernatural act almost just like paul where they'd be knocked off of their their you know their war horse and they would go blind and they'd realize that they're erring and they're they're, they're killing innocent people and that they need uh, salvation in in the true and living Savior, the true God, not uh, a false God that uh, does not uh, supply and provide what they need to sustain them throughout eternity. So, Lord, we lift uh, this this up to you and ask that your will be done in it. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
It's very interesting because, uh, you know, I like to nerd out on this stuff. I'm, I'm all about uh, learning more about the Hebrew culture and seeing how it correlates to uh, my life as a Christian in America. And, you know, people will say, I've heard I had a good talk with one of my friends, a friend that I grew up with. Uh, he's saved now as well. And it's crazy, man. We were talking for like about an hour, an hour or so yesterday afternoon, and it's a trip because of all the darkness and craziness we were in the fact that we're both saved found out that one of our other good friends got in a really bad car accident last year sometime and he broke uh basically every bone in his body and uh you know he was he was on it he's he did, he's alive still but he was you know he was deathly ill and uh, the lord used that and he's saved now and so praise god it's all these people from my past that you know i ran with a wild pack of people and we were just you know night owls and not doing anything good and up all night and and to see that, uh, you know, salvation has come to them is a beautiful thing. But it was interesting because, uh, you know, we were talking and, um, you know, the Lord does things and uh, he's still at work. And, and, and as I was reading um, the headlines uh, the night before about, uh, you know, Hamas attacking Israel and I woke up this morning and after I, you know, had time in prayer and, you know, went in the word, I, I normally check my AOL feed. Yes, I use AOL still. <laughs> they updated it. It ain't as old as it, as it used to be. But, I, I'm you know, I don't like switching, man. I ain't going to do Yahoo or whatever the new. I mean, it is what it is. AOL. But anyways, so on their news feed, it said this morning that uh, there was uh, there was an earthquake, a 6.1 magnitude earthquake in Afghanistan that has killed at least up to 2000 people. And they're still counting because there's so much rubble and debris where they're trying to, you know, get bodies out of. And it was just very striking to me and very interesting because, okay, when Hamas attacked Israel with, what was it, upwards about to uh, like 5,000 rockets and about 500 were actually hit targets. And then you also had people disguised and they went in and they were, you know, taking, capturing women and children, killing people like that. I mean, it's it's brutal. I mean, you ABC Channel 7 News, I was watching college football in the afternoon. They showed footage of the rockets hitting hitting some building. And it's like people are dying, man. It's real. The bloodshed is real. It's no joke. But that's with man-made weapons. And then literally 24 hours after a 6.1 magnitude earthquake, men can't produce earthquakes. Mm-hmm. It, it, it ain't just the boogeyman. It ain't, it ain't just the tectonic plates. It's the one who created the tectonic plates to shift and move. But the Lord literally had an earthquake happen in that same area. And a lot of those people died. So that shows me that don't play with God. Don't play with God's people. You're trying to eradicate them and you're bringing a curse upon yourself. So again, my prayer is salvation would come to both Jews and Muslims in that area. And it's very interesting as I, as I continue to share, because I've, I understand now, and, and the Lord kind of gave me glimpses. I, I'm not saying that I, I knew that they were going to get attacked, but all week long, Isaiah 54, 17 was on my heart. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And I'm like, all right, Lord, I know what that means. And, and you know, I, I read through the whole passage of Scripture, and, you know, I love imparting new verses to my children every every so many weeks or so you know we have a laundry list of verses that you know after we do a bible study every night i say i just speak the verses over my children and my 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 heart is at some point in time they're going to retain all of this 
and they're going to retain it for themselves. And this is one of the newest verses was Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And then so I'm like, all right, uh, thank you for showing me this, Lord. I, I know it. I understand it. I see it in my life. I'm sharing it with people around me. And then all of a sudden this attack happened. And then it just made me question. It's like, what 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 did I miss? What are you trying to show me? Because when you look at it with, with, with physical eyes, well, the weapon the weapons formed against the people of Israel right now, they are prospering because buildings are, 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 are being destroyed. Uh, like I said, women, children, men being killed, women and children being taken captive. You know, that's like someone bombing over here. And that's like somebody coming up here and shooting your wife and taking your kids. That's how real it is. Right. We only see it from a vantage point of all the way over here. And it really don't affect us because we're not we're not seeing the blood come out of our own bodies. We're not seeing our loved ones being being imprisoned. But this is what's happening over there. And I'm like, Lord, what 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 does this mean? Why are you showing me this first? Why has this been so heavy on my heart all week long? And as I read through Isaiah chapter 54 again, the Lord revealed this to me yesterday. The Lord will not allow the weapon formed against his servants to prosper. Sometimes this means that the Lord takes the weapon out of the hand of the enemy of his servants. Sometimes it means that God allows the weapon to strike, but brings a greater good out of that pain of the immediate blow. And when I, when I understood that, I, it clicked. And that's what's going on with Israel right now. Right. You know, if you study scripture, if you study uh, Revelation, that at some point in time, there's going to be some some form of peace treaty that's going to come in that region of the world. And that peace treaty is going to set up the, 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 the pathway for the Antichrist, the final Antichrist to arise and come into power. Now, they're saying that this is the worst strike since 1973 church. It's that bad. Like, it is war. It's not just an attack. Like, it is full on. It is war. They're not stopping. Remember a couple years ago, they went for, I don't know, 43 days or something and it stopped? They're not talking about stopping. And, and the Lord showed me, well, how can there be a peace treaty if there's not conflict in the first place? And so I was like, okay, Lord, you're kind of connecting the dots. You're showing me real time what's going on and how this is applicable to our lives here in the United States. You see, in allowing all this, God will not allow, ultimately, in his overarching theme, God will not allow the weapon of warfare to prosper, but transform the violent sword into a trowel for the building of his kingdom. Basically, he's going to use all this. This is all part of it. And we've talked about this months ago, years ago here, that if we have this idea that it's just going to be sunny days and there's going to be no problems and there's going to be no pain. The hardest thing to do is to live the Christian life. Don't be deceived. It's not like you get saved and all of a sudden all your problems go away. If anything, your, your problems compound because now this is something very interesting that my, that my, my, my brother in Christ shared with me yesterday with another good friend that he saved as well, well now, too. But this was years ago. And 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 they were so taught this this person was so tolerant of anybody from any background. But when it came to a Christian, they just hated them. They hated them. My buddy had brought a Christian and my buddy wasn't even saved at the time. And we were all smoking weed and drinking and partying and rapping. And that was the lifestyle. But my buddy had brought a Christian brother over that liked hip hop or whatever. And 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 everybody 
that was in this little clique, they all kind of went after they were introduced to this person. They went in the house and and left him by himself with my friend. And my boy was like, my boy Damien was like, that was super rude. Why'd you guys do that? Later on, he had a conversation with the with the individual that was kind of the head of this group. And he asked him, why, why do you have so much hate towards Christians? You were so tolerant of everybody else. And this individual that's saved now said this. The thing with Christianity is. Once you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is real, once you identify that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord of your life, that all this stuff is just not made up, that it's not just white people in Europe, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and you go, again, go back to the Hebrew and you understand that it's not about organized religion and none of that. That's a cop out too. I hate racism. Racism is a lie from Satan because there's Jewish people that are darker than me and lighter than Mark. So let's throw that out the window right now. But the whole point is this. He, he said, I, I couldn't get down with Christianity because once you once you identify that Jesus Christ is who he is. Now you're accountable for every single thing you do and you can't just wiggle your way out of it. His conscience his conscience was aware of the fact that now I got to identify with what's right and what's wrong. I can't just live any way I want. I can't just be reckless and loosey-goosey with my life and do whatever I want any old time. And it doesn't matter. I have to be accountable. I have to live in such a way that's going to honor the Lord and bless him and bless other people. And I think that's a big thing that's still going on in the world. People are trying to wish away Christianity and Jesus Christ because they don't want to be held accountable when you're lost and when you're living for this life and this world is your utopia when this world in the flesh is your heaven you're going to do everything you can fight tooth and nail to make things happen and that's why all this stuff from everybody's got a purpose the lgbtq all these different things that's why they're fighting so hard for it because this is the only glimpse of heaven that they will ever have they have no prospect of eternity because they, until, unless they repent and get saved before they take their last breath, they are destined for hell, just like I was. Someone asked me, how am I doing today? I'm better than I deserve because I deserve hell. That's where I was headed. But th- by the Lord and his grace, he pulled me out of the muck and the mire and he saved my soul. And now I'm redeemed and now I can live a truly, uh, a truly enlightened life by Jesus to honor him. But you see, Jesus is doing a great work still. How many of you believe that? In the midst of all the turmoil, in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all the what seems to be insanity, God is still doing a great work, church. The thing is, you and I must grow daily and become spiritually hypersensitive and aware of what he's actually doing. You know, there's so many people that they can't distinguish the voice of God from their own voice or, or schizophrenia. They're, they're all over the place. They're all over the place and, and they don't have peace. They're running from things in their own mind, which, again, I truly believe is spiritual darkness. And, and they're being consumed by this, this demonic activity. So if you have a sound mind today and you can cognitively think and you understand what's right and what's wrong, you don't realize how blessed you truly are. The, 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 the human conscience is becoming more degraded as time goes on. And what the Bible talks about, the restrainer who is the Holy Spirit, as time gets closer to Jesus' return, he's going to slowly, slowly lift his hand off of the world. 
What that means is it's going to allow more lawlessness to come into play. That's why you've seen Hamas doing what they're doing. That's why you've seen what's being taught in the schools, being taught in the schools, people killing, shooting, going crazy. I mean, there's there's just article after article of so much scandalous behavior going on within humanity. Even just driving. People are so uncertain that they will kill. Ben, it could be a green light and you're walking across the street. They will kill you if you're not paying attention. You, I, are foolish to walk in a crosswalk when there's a green light and it has the person walking and you're not looking both ways. You still have to be aware. But this is why we must be aware spiritually of what's going on. I had a great encounter this, 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 uh, this week, uh, I think on Thursday, and I was pumping gas and some young men came up to me and they said, hey, man, uh, we're homeless. Can you, can you spare some, some f- you know, whatever, food? Can you buy us something to eat? And I was like, all right, let me finish pumping my gas. I'm going to park my car. Let's go into the Safeway. I'm going to buy you guys some food. And had a little bit of conversation with them trying to find out where, where they're at. They said they're 15, 16 years old, already in continuation school. I said, look, I don't know your situation. All I know is this. The answer to your problem is you need Jesus Christ. You need Jesus, straight up. And I didn't pull any punches. I told him what it was. I said, I'm not going to buy you no candy, but get yourself something that's going to actually give you some kind of substance. And while they were heating up their food in the microwave, I just laid hands on both of them, and I just prayed that the Lord would intervene and that his will would be done and that they would come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I invited them to the church house. They were kind of off of Berryessa, so I don't know, on foot. I don't know how that's going to work out. But nonetheless, I just told them, you know, may the Lord be with you and bless you and but again, these encounters happen. We should have stories like this, church, of every day seeing the Lord moving and working in the lives of people in and around us and in our families or whether they're strangers. I mean, time is short and the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Don't you want to be a worker for God's kingdom and, 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 and help to, to be used to, to bring awareness of who Jesus is to a dying world around us? Because you already know, you already got your in. But you're not here to just kick up your feet and just bounce to Hawaii. We're going to Hawaii in a week. <laughs> but, but that's not what life's about. That's not the primary focus. The primary focus is people, is soul winning, is sharing the gospel in love so people can make the decision for themselves. Do they want to be in heaven or do they want to be in hell? And you have a pivotal part to play in that if you're still breathing. That's the main purpose why you're still here is to bring honor and glory to God. You see, we must build our lives on what's important, loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That sounds good, but how, how do you apply it to your life? How does that look tangibly? Because we can say, oh yeah, Lord, I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, but how do you actually do it? You do it by loving your neighbor as yourself. You can't say you love God and you hate people. You can't say you love God, but you're like, I don't ever want anybody over my house. I don't ever want to hang out with anybody. I don't want to take you out to lunch. I ain't trying to kick you with you, bro. Don't call me. It's way too late. Don't even ask me for a meal. I ain't doing nothing for you. But I love God. Come on now. The devil is a lie. That's not how it works. You love God by loving people. That's what Jesus did. And we are to emulate Christ in everything we do. You see, don't build your life on the shifting sand of this world. Because this is the reality. This is why we must walk by faith and not by sight. Because what looks solid 
might be a house of cards. And if it's not based in the will of God, it's ultimately going to crumble. And what seems flimsy can be the most solid structure if God himself is holding it up. So again, don't look at your circumstances and, and make a judgment, final judgment call on your life based on your circumstances. I know many people that are like, my circumstances are not ideal and I don't feel great about it. Okay, but did you wake up this morning? Do you know God? Do you know Jesus as your savior? Pfft, then you got every reason to rejoice. But if you stuck in the muck in the mire of your circumstances, that's what Satan wants. He wants you to be bummed out. He wants you to feel sorry for yourself. Come into agreement with them and woe is me and play your violin. And it's so hard. Like I said, people getting bombed, man. People just lost, you know, daughters and sons and, and mothers and grandmothers on the other side of the world. And we're over here tripping off. Of, I got to return something to Coles. Come on now. Right. We need to put it in perspective. I'm not saying that there's no, there's anything wrong with being blessed monetarily. What I'm saying is focus on what's really important. Focus on what is really worth something, because when you and I are on our deathbeds, we're not going to worry whether or not we bought that house or we didn't. We're not going to worry about we went to that college or we didn't. We're going to worry about what did we do with our time? How do, who do we spend it with? Do we actually live out the calling of our lives or do we leave all this stuff on the table? You need to be all in. That's the way to live the Christian life. You see, church, it costs to follow Jesus Christ. Many of us have not truly counted the cost of what it's going to cost us. You have to be stripped bare of everything for him to be the potter and for you to truly be the clay. You know what I'm talking about if you experienced it, if the Lord has stripped you bare of your identity, of everything, of your reputation and said, no, I'm going to build you back up. But you see, even though it costs to follow Christ, it costs more not to follow him. You choose not to follow him and you live in this so-called utopia, this world, you have nothing but hell to look forward to. An eternity apart from him forever, where there'll be no peace, no joy. All the souls will be doing in hell is continually cursing God. Do you know how horrible that is? I don't even like talking about it because it just it's so not right. It's so unclean. It's so unholy. But all they're going to be doing is cursing God continually. That's all they can do. There's no peace there. There's no joy. There's no time out. It's nothing but hate, 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 envy, spite, deceit. Every unclean idea that's ever been thought up of, that's what's going to be in hell continually. And there's no peace. People think it's bad right now. It's not bad. It's not bad compared to what it's going to be when your soul leaves your body and you're no longer in this cadaver and you can't move like this because there is no second chances, church. You're not coming back as somebody else. You're not coming back as a panda. You're not being reincarnated. That's not real, man. That's, that's false. That's false doctrine. That's, that's, that's anti-Christian. That's not the truth. That's not the one and true and living God. And as has been said, it's, it's, so, it's so Jewish to be a believer. It's actually an oxymoron for a Jewish person not to believe in the Messiah. But it's so crazy. We'll get into that in a little bit. But you see, God has all the resources you and I need to do the task in which he has called us to do on planet Earth. There's just one thing he lacks, your availability and my availability. And only you and I can provide that. Today, church, make it personal. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit has to say to the church. All right. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter four. We're going to be going through verses nine through 16. And uh, again, this is part of our three part series, Evil Under the Sun. 
And uh, with that, if you can stand for the reading of God's word, we'll go ahead and get into the text this morning um, and we'll pray and then we'll see what the Lord has in store. Once again, Ecclesiastes chapter four, starting in verse nine, we're going to go down to verse 16. And it says two are better than one because they have a good reward for all their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Verse 14, he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor, been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's palace. Verse 16, there was no end of all the people and of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Let's go ahead and pray. Yahweh, Lord, we just thank you again for this opportunity to come together as part of your body of Christ and to be able to give you all praise, honor, and glory. We pray that you would help us to expound on the text. Would you empty all of us of ourselves? Would you fill us fresh with the Holy Spirit so that we all may be able to rightly divide your word? May there be a heavy and fresh anointing upon your people so that we would uh, just, we'd have an encounter with you that would be fresh and new. It wouldn't be like yesterday. We wouldn't be concerned about tomorrow, but we would be immersed in right now the moment and what you want to do with us right now. So, Father, please equip us for this good work you have for us to walk in. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So last week, we, we looked at how a work ethic of excellency should be in every follower of Jesus Christ. That we should do our job with such a due diligence that, you know, we shine above everyone else. And it's not a competition, but it's, 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 we should do it. We should be the ones that work hard and don't complain and that put in our effort. And we also learned that, that God will reward the work of our hands. The, 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 the work that we toil to do, it'll be blessed. We'll receive back what we put in. In the same line of thought, we were reminded that no one should ever envy another for what they have accomplished and have achieved in this lifetime. We shouldn't envy someone who, you know, whatever, has the nice car or, or you know, has worked and, 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 and developed over time this, this great portfolio or whatever it is. I talked about last week, you know, even in, in, in the ministry of Jesus Christ, I, I, you know, I'm not envious of, of some other church somewhere else, you know, that's part of the body that's doing big things. I mean, it is what it is. Need to be content within Christ. We learn that envy and comparing are not rooted in righteousness of God. Rather, their origins are rooted in Satan himself. We talked about that. We talked about Lucifer not being content with how he was created and, and wanting to be more than God himself and trying to rise to that status and all of the, the debauchery and the debacle that followed that horrible decision that he made to allow the pride of his heart to lead him. 
We also learn that it is foolish to work all your life merely for material gain, right? People who slave and work so hard for material possessions. And, you know, you've heard, you've heard the saying, you cannot attach a U-Haul to the back of a hearse. You're not going to take it in the ground with you. Uh, King Tut tried and look where it got him. Though the Lord will bless us with possessions, that is not his primary concern for us or how he wants to bless us. We, we talked about that. There's nothing wrong with being rich. It's interesting because someone who's dirt poor can be just as envious as someone who is wealthy. So it's not about having money or not having money. It's about your heart. You can be wealthy, monetarily speaking, and still have a good head on your shoulders and still be a faithful follower of Christ. But it's about what has your heart. Who has your heart? Is it the money? Or is it Christ? You see, again, he's after our innermost being to fully be connected and conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. He wants us to learn to live from the inside out. I heard a crazy study um, this morning in a sermon I was listening to, something about um, the average child watches up upwards by, uh, gosh, the age 18, uh, about 18,000 hours of, of television until they're 18 years old. They're only in school for 12,000 hours. And so there's something called, uh, uh, the University of San Francisco State did this case study, and it, uh, I, don't, I don't have all the terminology correct. It's something with the alpha something, and it has to do with when you're in stationary mode and you're just, you're, you're not thinking, you're just letting inputs come into your mind. That's what happens with the television. That's probably why they created the television, for brainwashing purposes. You begin to mold and develop things that are coming through that tube. And so if you're not watching wholesome, savory stuff and you're watching demonic activity coming through the screen, I don't care if it's Disney, I don't care if it's horror movies, I don't care if it's sci-fi, anything that is not honoring God and you're just mindlessly like a, like, a, like a mummy watching this stuff, it comes out later on in life. That's why you have to, what does the Bible say? Guard your heart, church. How do you guard your innermost being, which is your heart? By guarding your eyes and your ears, being aware of what you're listening to and being aware of what you are watching. If you let certain things into your home, into your mind, I'm telling you right now, you're coming into agreement with Satan. You're coming into agreement with them. Satan can only do what you allow him to come in, what you allow him to come into agreement with in your life. You have to be like, no, no, there's a line of demarcation. We're not doing that. We're not getting me. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're not doing that because you're setting yourself up for failure. And, and, and see, this is how they get us in America. It's so subdued and it's so subtle that people won't think that there's anything wrong. I was talking to my buddy yesterday. He said, and he works with children. He said, you would be surprised how many of these young children I talk to. And they talk about they've had visitations from demons. They've had demonic spirits come to them in their sleep and talking about crystals and all this stuff. That's all demon stuff, man. This is not a game. This is not fairy tale. This is not make believe. I saw one of my co because, you know, Halloween's a big thing. One of my coworkers is an older lady. She came to work and she had a Ouija board on her shirt. I'm like. This is someone I invited to church. So you need the Lord, man. You want, I said, you, you, you letting that stuff come into your home. You owning stuff like that? Wearing something with that? Do you, do you understand? You wanting to summon the dead and trying to talk to, to, to spirits? The only spirit I want to talk to is the Holy Spirit. But you see, church, we, we don't have to be afraid. <laughs> 
You don't have to be afraid of no demon spirit, man. You know, we tread on serpents, man. You know, Christ in us, and we'll talk about this as we get into the message, but, 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 but the demons shriek. They're so scared. If you have a true relationship with Jesus Christ, man, they can't do nothing to you. They can't do anything to you. But you see, a lot of Christians are duped and deceived because they're not in the book, meaning they're not in a tight relationship with Christ. So they're not aware of the schemes of the devil. So when they get hit, it's already too late. You got to be the one who's like, I see it a mile away. I see the deception. I mean, why did Billy Graham say he never went anywhere alone? He never met with a woman alone. Why, why did he do that? Because he saw the deception from a mile away. He said, man, I don't trust my own flesh. I ain't going to cheat on the Lord. I ain't going to cheat on my wife. I'm rolling. And we're going to talk about that later, too. That's in the text. Two are better than one. You're a fool to go out on your own all the time. I know there's times where you got to be alone, but you're going to have the Holy Spirit with you. But what I'm saying is when you walk into situations where you know your triggers and know you can be tempted, you are foolish to go it alone because that's how you get caught up. So, church, we got to wake up. We got to be spiritually aware of what's going on and how the enemy wants to come in and rattle you and mess you up. Remember, he can't take your salvation, but he wants to render you powerless and ineffective. And if you come into agreement with Satan on all these different levels, you are ineffective and you are powerless. That's why you're not seeing great victory in your life. On the other hand, if you steer clear of coming into agreement with Satan, you will not be tainted by him and you will be able to walk in victory and goodness all the days of your life as it should be for every Christian. <laughs> no Christian should be afraid of a demon. I'm going to tell you that straight up. If you're afraid of demons, your theology's wrong. You got it twisted. It ain't no pitchfork. It ain't no horns. It ain't some dumb exorcist commercial on television. See, I think this stuff doesn't even bother me anymore. I'm like, what? The power of God in me. <laughs> Tripping off that. That's shock value stuff. But demonic possession is real. And in order to combat that, if you come against it, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So focus your energies on spending time communing with God every day. And you'll have so much of the Holy Spirit and so much of the word in you. Man, just <laughs> at the sound of your voice, they'll shudder and they'll leave. That wasn't even in my notes. But it was important to share. Lastly, last week, we saw that the wicked, uh, going back to, you know, living for money and living for monetary gain, we also learned that the wicked, they don't have anyone to leave behind all they toiled for. While the righteous not only have a material inheritance to leave behind for several generations after them, they most importantly leave behind a spiritual legacy for the younger generations to follow after. What do you want your legacy to be? Every one of us is going to have a legacy. Do you want to be known as, as, as the family member or the parent or the father or the brother-in-law or the whatever, the sister-in-law, the mother-in-law, the mom that, that didn't make time for our children and didn't teach them the things of God and, and you know, all this worldly stuff, but there was, there was no spirituality. There's no, there was no spiritual guidance. And, and all you left them was, you know, whatever, $50,000 or whatever. I mean, it's like that money's going to be gone. You know, it's nothing. But but what about what about the morals? What about what about the integrity? Did you teach them that? Did you actually live it out? Did they actually see you doing that? You know, again, my friend, we had a great conversation and I talked to him. I said, you know, I, I apologize to my wife and my kids all the time. And, you know, I said something I shouldn't have said to Kalos yesterday. And I had to I literally got on one knee and I apologized to him. And I, I said, I, I plead after I obviously went and got right with the Lord. But I said, please forgive me. What I said was wrong. It wasn't right. I'll, I'll share what it was. I'll share what it was. <laughs> He was on his device and, 
you know, it's like, man, you're on that device all the time, man. Get off that device. And, you know, Veronica had told him to do something, and, and, and he was he took the device with him to go do it. It was like, get a bunch of toilet paper off that other closet, this and that. And, you know, I was frustrated, and I shouldn't have said it. And I said, I said, man, you want to go to hell with that device in your hand? And she said, what? What in the world? What? I said, why would you ever say that? She said, would you say that to someone in the congregation? I said, no, I was super convicted. But out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I still got that root of sin in me. And I just loose-lipped and I said it because I was so frustrated. But it was so horrible. In the moment, I, he didn't, I don't even think he realized what I said, how hardcore that was, how bad that was. You don't tell your own flesh and blood you're going to go to hell. you know. But I was so upset about what he was doing that I, I said that. I'm just sharing with you, church, that it is real. And, and, that, and that's why we have to be aware of what's going on so that we can say the right things, we can do the right things. But it's all pointing back to what kind of legacy do you want to leave? It ended up being all good. You know, we're good now. You know, he understands. And, you know, I got right with the Lord. But it's like, what do we want to leave for the generations that, that we leave behind? Are they going to remember grandmother as a praying woman? As someone that always lifted her grandchildren up and was always full of the Holy Ghost and wanted the best for them? And always pointed them to Christ? Or are they going to remember someone that's like, man, all this dude did was sit and eat, watch football, listen to music, work on his car, play video games, never spent time with me, never engaged with me, never taught me how to shave, never taught me. You know what I'm saying? Like, but that's real talk. This is what we what do you want to leave as your legacy? In my innermost being, I want to leave a legacy of Christ for those behind me. We have several main points this morning, and the first one is this. I don't apologize if this is heavy, because it needs to be heavy sometimes, church. We're dealing with weighty situations. We're dealing with heaven and hell, life and death. The first main point is this. Two are better than one. This is a foundational doctrinal position that the Christian faith hinges on. An example of this is just look at the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a triune God. Is a triune God. It's very interesting when you think about it because God himself is self-sustained and in need of nothing, not born, existing outside of space and time from before the beginning. He created time, but he lives outside of space and time and needed nothing. Yet there is a mystery of him having complete fellowship within the Godhead. We know God is love. We know that's one of his main attributes some people take that overboard and think God is only love, but God is also jealous. He's also vengeful, right? Read the whole Testament. It talks about Lord told us, don't go up and, and fight the Amalekites because I'm not going to be with you. And they still went and then they got beat up and then they came back and then they repented. And he said, I didn't hear you, man. That's hardcore. <laughs> that's hardcore. That's a that's a that's a word for some. That's a word for me. If he tells you not to do something and you do it anyways, you can come back. You can repent, but he may not hear you in that moment because he's mad at you. He's frustrated with the fact that I told you I'm not going to be with you. <laughs> God will always forgive. But what I'm saying is he gets frustrated, too. Think of, look at the Old Testament. All the times he got frustrated with Israel, man, because they kept on intermingling and marrying these people of false religions. And he's like, you, you guys are messing up what you know to be true and right. But, but we know that God, one of his main attributes is love. And this is the whole premise. You can't love without having someone or something to be the object of that love. Do we understand that? You can't just say you love, but there's no object to your affection. 
Three persons in one equals in holiness and divinity, but separate in function. That's the Godhead. God the Father, who remains in heaven, overseeing the affairs of humanity. He, he, he commissioned and sent his one and only begotten son, who he loves, into the world as the means to save humanity. Jesus Christ is the son who took on flesh to be the perfect sinless sacrifice for all of humanity so that we could be brought back into right relationship with the father. John chapter 14, verse 16 said, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. That's crystal clear. He's pulling no punches. He says, man, there's no other way, man. You got to get to me to get to the father. As important as Jesus Christ is, Jesus Christ is the means to the end. The end is father God. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. We never downplay that. But Jesus is the means to get to the Father. Some people tend to forget that. That's why Jesus said, pray in this way. Our Father, thou art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He didn't necessarily say, pray to me. You can pray to him, but he says what? Pray to Father God in whose name? Jesus' name. Don't ever be ashamed. Don't ever be ashamed to say in Jesus' name. I've seen public professions of prayer and they don't end in Jesus name. They just say in God's name. What God you talking about? You talking about the God of this world? You talking about Satan? Bro, be specific, man. When you hear me pray, Lord, one, I'm always going to say in Jesus Christ's name, because that's where the authority, that's the, where the power is. If I just say God, you know, I could be talking about little G. There's a million of little G's. Just ask the and I'm not smashing. I'm just it is what it is. Just ask the Hindu people. They got millions of gods. They got gods for everything. And that's why it says the one God. That's why it doesn't mean much to us in, in, in here in America. But when you come from that background, you understand why they say one God, because it's such a it's such a plethora of gods in that culture that it's a challenge for them. They're coming out of a background where they're dealing with millions of gods, worshiping rats and worshiping cows. It's crazy, but it's the truth. And then we have the person of the Holy Spirit. Who was sent into the world after Jesus Christ and uh, after Jesus Christ ascended back to heaven to be seated with all glory and honor at the right hand of the father. John chapter 14 verse 26 tells us, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So you see right there, just in those few scriptures, you see the, the outline of the Trinity. There is a triune Godhead. You see. We also never see any solo soldiers in God's army. Do you understand that you're in the army? Do you understand you're enlisted in, you're, you're a soldier? You see, it's not, this, it's not just this casual, and it's good, you know, we, we can have cupcakes and, and fruitcake and, and have little, you know, have these little meetings where we have food and all that, and that's good. But, but beneath all that is a soldier. You're spiritually in a war, in a battle. That's what's going on. It's not as cute as we try to make it out to be. We're rough around the edges because we're soldiers, man. We're soldiers in Christ's army, but we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against spiritual principalities and, and spiritual darkness in heavenly places. That's why it gets heavy. And again, that's why some people check out because they don't want to deal with the heaviness and the weightiness of it. But, uh, but any soldier worth his or her salt is going to be well equipped when they go into battle. A foolish soldier is going to be ill-equipped and they're going to get their butt whooped because they're not equipped. You want to be equipped? You want to be equipped? This is a principle that Jesus Christ taught on during his earthly ministry. 
Mark chapter 6, verse 7 says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. See, it's not my words. This is the scripture saying that. He's talking about he sent them out two by two and he gave them authority over every demon. He said, you have authority over any of these unclean spirits. In my name, you can cast them out. They won't, tr- they won't mess with you because you have been commissioned in my authority to set captives free in the authority of Jesus Christ. Church, there's many people that need to be set free today that are under the oppression of demonic influence or possession. Christ sent his disciples to preach the gospel by twos so that they might labor united in spreading the truth. Jesus saw this plan and he said that it would result in much more good than if one was to be sent out alone. It's far better for two to work together. That's just the reality. An example, one can encourage the other and they can counsel one another. They can pray and they can search the Bible together. There will be one that's able to shed on a broader light on the truth of Jesus Christ when they're together. One will relate to another person in a different perspective than someone else, right? That's just how it works. You ever notice how two different people can share the gospel to the same person, but it be received differently from whoever shared it with them? You know, it's like, for example, you know, maybe me and Eric are rolling and and we're out, you know, sharing the word of God with people and we come across somebody and and maybe the way I, I express it, they're not feeling it. But the way that Eric can relate to this individual, he's not mincing words he's not changing the gospel message but it's received in a different way that's the whole purpose of going out two by two that's one of the reasons why we're sent to go out two by two also if one of us errs right if one of us is wrong if one of us is mishandling the scripture incorrectly that the other person can correct in love we could admonish one another you know sometimes someone has to be buffeted sometimes we have to be rebuked it happens in the church man don't think that, you know, I got it all together. Sometimes a lot, a lot of times I'm rebuked by my wife. My wife is like having to tell me, hey, man, you're like I said, the example of me lashing out to my son. She had to check me on that. We're one flesh. So it hurt her. She's like, what? as mad as she gets, she don't talk to Kalos or Tirza like that. But I ah, fire, man, like a dragon. Horrible. But this is why two are better than one. When two go together, it's an educated work in Christ and it'll be carried out and each worker will become what he or she should be. The second main point is this. If you live apart from the body of Christ as a believer, it will be far easier for the enemy of your soul to break your will. So if you're like, I'm not into church, but I believe in Jesus, I can do it on my own. I'll just listen to podcasts. or I'll just zoom it. You know, we're not under no mandates. <laughs> and even then, a lot of people didn't like that. The reality is this is important. Coming together, being a part of the body. We rent from this building. We can't meet here multiple days out of the week. Praise God that we have home groups. And that's where kind of more of, I don't want to say the magic, but that's where more of, you know, you get to get in deeper in things because you have more personal relations. You just hear me talking for whatever, an hour on a Sunday. But it's in the small groups where you get more, you know, to get more into it. There's no lone rangers in, in, the, in the body of Christ. Think about it, man. If you guys know the lone ranger, even the lone ranger had Tonto. He wasn't, but he wasn't solo bolo. He has somebody else with him. You know, verse 12 says a three, four cord is not easily broken. With God at the center of two believers, it will be extremely hard for Satan to break them up because Christ is the glue holding them together. 
And that's for sure true in marriage. That's why the Bible says do not be unevenly yoked. If you want to learn more about that, obviously read the word. There's a great book out by Lee Strobel if you ain't know anything about him. He got his wife got saved first, then he ended up getting saved years later. But man, he talks, he goes in depth and he talks about what happens when you're unevenly yoked. And it's crazy the strain and the stress that it puts on the marriage. So don't be unevenly yoked. Find somebody who's saved. Actually, just be married to Christ first and God will bring you your spouse. You looking for somebody, you ain't going to find them. Find Christ. (laughs) Find Christ. That's the best advice I could give you. I know it from my own seeking. I sought Christ. He brought me my wife. I didn't even look for her. She showed up. She showed up. Look at Adam. Adam didn't seek Eve. God brought him Eve. Do you not think that God can do mighty and miraculous things beyond what you could even desire or even ask for? Just do Christ and everything else will work out in your life. Again, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and everything else you need will be added on to you. It's not good for man to be alone. He knows that. He knows the longings of our hearts. Seek Christ. That's not in my notes either. Take it for what it's worth. You see, but if we live apart from community, thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to, like the old foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice, we will live blind to our own blindness. That's never good. Basically, living your Christian life out of community, you're going to get caught slipping. If you live outside of community, you're going to fall out because you're, you have no accountability. This is what's going to happen. Our judgment will become impaired because of our pride and we will no longer see danger from afar. What did we talk about earlier? Being hyper spiritually sensitive to what's going on so that we can be aware of when the Holy Spirit's speaking, when an unclean spirit's trying to impart something to us or when it's just our flesh talking. But if you're not connected to God, if you're not connected to Christ. If you're not connected to Father God through, through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, how are you going to know? How are you going to differentiate what voice is saying what to you? we got to be aware, church. Think about it. Look at Samson. Look at Samson. Man, he had such a heavy anointing on his life. Did he, what did he do with the jawbone of a donkey? Man, that man was a physical specimen. I don't know if he was bigger than Arnold, but he was a dude, man. Like Lee Haney knocking fools out left and right. It's like, don't eat grapes. <laughs> don't mess with them women. Don't cut your hair. It's the Nazarite vow. What did he do? I mean, I'm not saying he didn't have friends, but a lot of times, old boy was by himself. He got caught up with Delilah, man. Why? Because he was not held accountable. He wasn't riding with brothers in Christ. He's like, I'm going to just do it alone. I'm a just, I- I'm good because God got me. I got the anointing on me. I got the hair. You see what I did with that jawbone? He, he got prideful. Right. He didn't stay grounded. He didn't stay connected. You need brothers. You need sisters in Christ that are going to keep you connected man. they keep you accountable so that you can roll the right way. Again, I'll say it again because it's worth noting. If we have come into agreement with the enemy of our soul, we need revival in our hearts. We need to repent And we need revival in our own hearts. We need a fresh perspective. We need salvation that not only secures our eternal resting place, but compels us to love our neighbor as ourself and endure suffering for the advancement of the gospel of Christ. This is why every believer needs to be in the community of a local church body. If this is the church for you, this is where you commune every Sunday. And you can travel and visit other churches, but you got to have roots somewhere. 
It's not okay to just be floating from church to church. And people make the excuse, well, I need to find the best children's ministry. I need to find this and that. I'm going to tell you right now, there ain't no perfect church. There ain't no perfect pastor. It's that whole thing of, well, one day I'm going to settle roots and one day I'm going to do all this work for the Lord. No, man, if you ain't doing it now, you ain't never going to do it. Do it now. Get connected now. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 tells us, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day drawing near. And the third main point, better to be young, poor, and wise than to be old and foolish. Solomon gives an example of a young, poor, wise person and an old, foolish king. This is Jewish tradition. It says that Nimrod had Abraham thrown into the furnace. This doesn't appear in the Bible but it, it is related in legend. Nevertheless, there is something that can be taken from this parable. You see, Abraham was a poor child, only about three years old, but he had the spirit of prophecy upon him, and he refused to worship the idols which the old foolish king Nimrod had set up. So Nimrod had him cast into the fiery furnace. But the Lord worked a miracle and delivered him. There was no knowledge in Nimrod, and he would not be corrected. Doesn't that sound familiar? To me, it sounds like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when King Nebuchadnezzar had them thrown into the fiery furnace. And they said, nah, man, we're not going to bow to you. Don't matter. And then there was a fourth in the fire. Right? The song. <laughs> the whole point is, you are far better off having little worldly wealth and being wise than being rich by the world's standards, but be a fool. All right, let's go ahead and look at these verses 9 through 12. And it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone for when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, if they keep, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A three-four cold cord is not easily broken. Okay, again, the statement, two are better than one. A few verses earlier, Solomon thought how even with mass amounts of worldly wealth, living alone made life worse. Remember, he talked about, man, the person that, that strives and strives for worldly riches, and then they have no one to leave it to when they die. He continues to develop the same idea, telling us that two are better than one, and will begin to state the reasons why this is true. He says, because they have a good reward for their labor. Think about it. In a good partnership, two can accomplish more than each one individually. That's just, it's just simple math. It just makes sense. The sum will be greater than its parts. Um, it makes me think of yesterday. It was super hot, and Kalos had a baseball game, and, and Veronica's the team mom, and so they wanted a tarp that could go over the, the chain-link fence of the dugout. And so we got there. It's a big old tarp. And, man, you got parents. You got coaches climbing up on the, you know, on the fence. And together, like three or four of us, man, it got done quick. How would it look if it would have been one person trying to do all this? You got four corners, man. You got to bungee together. You got to rig it together to get it to work. It works so much quicker and so much better and so much fluently because there was more than one person there working, right? It's how it is. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. I love this. You see, I'm at a point in my life spiritually where it's like, man, I get so blessed by just the fellowship of other men. I'm like, man, y'all don't realize how much of a blessing you are to me. 
You know what I'm saying? Because when we come into agreement, it's like, man, the Lord confirms so much to me. And somebody may be like, man, I'm not up to par. I'm not, you know, I'm not. It's, it's like, it's not what it's about, man. It's like, man, the Lord's, the Lord's face is heavy upon your life, brother. Just keep on moving, keep on going. And we encourage one another. And then there's times when I'm down and I need encouragement. You see, this is how it works. In order to have a partnership, there must be a common union that brings two individuals together. Even when you look within the secular realm of culture, even when you look within the secular realm of business, the partnership, there's a common theme. For most people, it's like, we want to get paid. So we're going into business because we're going to get paid. Or, you know, secular people that, that love to party and have a good time. We're well, going to party and have a good time. That's the end goal. But they still come together for a common union. You see, common union, communion, compound word, any coincidence? I think not. We're supposed to be in communion with Christ, right? That's the whole point of why we drink the juice and eat the cracker, man. It's, it's like us. That's a it's, a, it's a, it's a physical manifestation of us actually being in communion with the Lord. And we do business with the Lord. And then we eat the cracker and drink the juice and everything's all good. We don't bring judgment upon ourselves. We don't just aimlessly do it. We allow the Lord to search our hearts. We say, Lord, whatever's dirty and nasty in me, bring it to life so I can repent of it. Then I'll drink the juice, eat the cracker, and then we're good. And it's cool. It's communion. That's all he wants from you and me. He wants constant communion. He wants to be closer to you than he is closer to you than your own breath, than your own heartbeat, than your own spouse. But he wants us to understand that. That like that's where our life lies in him. Man, I can play video games till my thumbs go numb. That doesn't satisfy me. I do it and I play. Then I'm like, my eyes hurt. I got to get off this thing. Let me get in the word. You know, and the Lord's helped me where it's like I can temper that now. I can put things in their little place and I still enjoy things. But it doesn't supersede my life anymore. I don't make beats and it's like I spend all my day making beats. You know what I mean? Those are things where it's like at the end of the day, we just sang about it, man. A song in itself is not even what he required. You don't care about that. Heaven forbid the beats I make don't just burn up. That's going to be sad, but it is what it is. It's going to be like, bro, I don't even care about it. I don't even call you to make those beats. You're over here doing I want you to do this. Be with your family. Be with your wife. Bless people. Be a servant. You see? We need to let go of our will and let his will be done. We say it all the time, but do we really do it? We were created by the intelligent designer, and he created us to be in relationship ultimately with him, but also with one another. Even wild pack animals have this base level understanding that in order to survive, they must stick together. You guys have heard the analogy, National Geographic, they're in Africa, the savannah, the wildebeest. Who gets destroyed by the lioness or the lion? It's the freaking straggler, man. It's the one that's not with the pack. They over here dingling, tinkering around in the dirt, and then they get caught up because they weren't rolling with the pack. You got to roll with the pack. This is the body of Christ. If you are a dis, you know, cut off body part, what does Jesus say? He is the vine. We are the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So what do we think we're doing being out of community with Christ and his family and thinking we're going to do something? That's how you get these far off doctrines and you get Waco, Texas and you get David Koresh and you get, you know, Jim Jones and the Kool-Aid and taking people to South America and saying in Jesus name, it's because they went off, man. That's how you get Joe. Was it Joe Smith or whatever the, you know, I'm, Joseph Smith? That's how you get all that, <laughs> 
It's because cats just went off on, on their own thinking they can do their own thing. No, you need to be connected, man. <laughs> so people can say in the multitude of counselors, there's much wisdom, bro. You're off, homie. <laughs> you know, we, that's why we have elders in this church. That's why we have men in place that pray. I don't just be making the decisions on my own. I may get a revelation and I bring it to the men and say, hey, this is what, what I, I feel like the Lord is showing us. We pray about it and it gets done. I don't just start making decisions. <laughs> That's horrible. That's not the way the church is supposed to work. And that's not the way we're supposed to work as the body of Christ. I was on my way to work this week. And, and you know, I, I was on 280 going towards the west side. And I saw like 50 birds. And they're all going in unison. It was, um, it was so beautiful. It was amazing. But they're all together. You see in the sea, they got hundreds of those little fish. And they just swim all crazy all together. That's not a coincidence. That's by design. Even in nature itself, God has created it to where we are to be together. That is the way we are created to be. It's amazing, and I already alluded to it earlier, that Yahweh has perfect fellowship with himself. There are three distinct beings within the Godhead, we know. Equal in function, but they work differently for a common goal. This is what was and what still is a stumbling block for many Jewish people today. They obviously believe that there's only one God. But when Jesus Christ came on the scene, they couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that he said he was the son of God. And the Holy Spirit was another within the Trinity. They actually don't believe in the Trinity. They believe it's blasphemous to even consider such an idea. But when you search through the scripture, it's clear that within the Godhead, there are three distinct ways in which God reveals himself to the world. The Father as God. Philippians chapter 1 verse 2 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ as God and the Son of the Father. Luke chapter 4 verse 41. And demons also came out of many crying, You are the capital S Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. I mean, I don't know how much clearer scripture can be. The Holy Spirit is God. Acts chapter 5 verses 3 through 4. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did you not remain your own, and after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. I mean, it's crystal clear. He says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to man, but God. Again, the application is this. We see as God's creation, we are to follow after his pattern for true fulfillment. To be in community with others as he is in fellowship with himself. Isn't that amazing that God is in complete fellowship with himself, but yet he still desires for us to commune with him? He is in lack of, he is in need of no love, but yet he wants to expound that love to you and me. He wants to draw us in so we can have intimate, unhindered fellowship with him in the Godhead. Man, that is, I can't even, my words can't even give can't even do anything to that. It just, it just blows my mind. We go on to see if one falls, someone else will lift up his companion or her companion. When two live together, they can help each other in their difficulties. Um, an example of this is, so many of you know, I work for the Morgan Autism Center, work with adult clients that have extreme autism. And 
you know, many times this requires teamwork, staff being on the same page. When someone has a grandma seizure, I mean, we have a whole protocol. Someone needs to know what to do. You know, we, we do a little couple clap, uh, something like help or something, and they know. And, and, and people know to get the device. And, I mean, the things happen in a matter of seconds so we can get this, this, this client the best care they can possibly have. But it takes teamwork. Or if we have someone who's aggressive, Eric knows about this, they get assaultive or they get violent or they spit or they get, you know what I mean? You need to be on the same page or else a bunch of people are going to get hurt. And if we're not on the same page, it's not going to work. So we work together so that we're able to de-escalate the situation as quickly as possible. Again, two are better than one. But woe to him who is alone. When he falls, he has no one to help him up. Solomon understood that everybody needs help. And it is a blessing both to give and to receive help. Acts chapter 20 verse 35 says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the lifestyle of the believer. To be a servant. To have a servant heart. To not want to receive. It's like, I'm past that. Like I don't need attaboys. I don't need any of that. I, I want to be a blessing. I want my life to count for something. I want to be involved in my family's lives and the people around me to be of good. To be an encourager like Barnabas. To, to be someone that would lift someone up and, and help them see that they have purpose in Christ and not be down on themselves. That's what I want to do with the time that the Lord has given me. To be a blessing and to serve others within the body of Christ and to serve others as well. He goes on to say, if two lie down, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm? When two work and live together, they can bring comfort to the lives of each other. That's, I mean, you see that. You see that in married couples. You know, they're, they're able to console one another. They're able to help one another. It works so much better than when you're alone, solo, bolo. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. When two work and live together, they can bring the security and safety to one another. I love my wife so much, man. She's such a blessing to me. And she helps me out so much in everything. In everything. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't under-shepherd this church without my wife. <laughs> All the back-end stuff that gets no, 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 no consideration or no thought. It's like, she's the one doing all that. You know, she's the one on the phone. She's the one making the call. She's the one doing that. She's the one. I mean, I'm in prayer, but she's in prayer, too, on top of all that other stuff. She helps me so much. And that's just in ministry. My personal life, that's a whole other can of worms that she helps out with. And she's been patient with me all these 10 years. And then they can watch one another's back. When there's two and, and instead of just one. The application is this. These four verses show us the great value of human relationships. That two are better than one. You see church. Isolation is a death sentence in the Christian faith. We're, we're not created to be alone. Fellowship within the body of Christ is essential to the maturation and growth of every believer. To not belong to a local church body is a great disservice, not only to yourself, but also to the rest of the body of Christ. Because do you know, you have certain special giftings that only you can walk in. Everybody in this room under the sound of my voice has something uniquely special about them that only you can work out in God's timing for his purposes, for his people. There's things that I can't do that you can do. 
And you need to see it like that. We need to not look at it like I, I, I have a righteous indignation when people say I, I need to be on stage. Why? Why? This is not, you know, like, don't aspire to this. Many, many, many of the people that are truly called the pastoring, they never wanted to pastor. <laughs> I never wanted to do that. I was comfortable sitting in the seat. I never wanted to do this. this is what I don't, I don't, I don't want to do. You know what I mean? Don't think that this is what it's about. It's not. This is just one component. But it's about what we do outside of this building. All this is for nothing if we don't do anything out of this building. This is just to pump you up then if we don't do nothing. And that's not what it's about. So, so take the gifting that he's given you seriously. Learn it. If you don't know, pray about it. Ask the Lord to reveal to you, what is my gifting? What, what, are, what are you calling me to do in the body of Christ? And I guarantee you, he'll show you. James 4 eight says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. So draw near to him. Ask him. He'll show you. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 5 tells us, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members of another, excuse me, of one another, or one of another, excuse me. (laughs) Living and working together is a great advantage to living and working alone. And it And I want to just add these four principles so we can see it. Productivity. They have a good reward for their labor. Help in need. If they fall, the companion can lift up his or her friend. Comfort in life. They will keep warm. Safety and security they can withstand. And then we see this statement, a three-four cord is not quickly broken. Here we see a fascinating and final line to this section dealing with the goodness of companionship. We might have expected that. He would praise the strength of a twofold cord, but instead Solomon noted that a threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's commonly understood that this third cord is God himself and that a relationship intertwined with God is a threefold cord and it's not quickly broken. This is commonly applied to the idea of recognizing and embracing God in the marriage relationship, but it's not just to that. It is Jesus Christ who keeps two sinners bonded together. If Christ is not the superior of both the man and the woman, then that marriage is not going to last. Even if the couple stays married, because there's many people that are not Christians and, and, and they stay married, but that, that marriage is not going to be a healthy marriage without Christ at the center. In the context of marriage and family, Solomon has children in mind with this picture of a threefold cord. All right, last few verses, then we'll end it. Better was, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice for... He went to prison from the throne or went from prison to the throne, excuse me, uh, though his own kingdom had been poor. I saw all the living who moved about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people and all who he had led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this is all vanity and a striving after the wind. Again, the preacher begins this section with a proverb observing that it's better to be poor and wise and young than to be old and foolish and to have great wealth and status. We are told all throughout Scripture how truly rich, how the truly rich are those who are content in what they have, not those who have a lot but are never satisfied. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6-9 tells us, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these We be content, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Know when to be content, man. 
I mean, does anybody really need the mega million? <laughs> I'm probably going to do more harm to you if you won, you know, real talk. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19 says, For this reason I bow my knees. This is so important, church. Get this, these verses. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant to you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength, in, strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God that's the that's at the heart of Christianity that's it right there that you may know the riches of Christ in your innermost being (laughs) that you would be able to live in the strength of God and in the fullness and be filled with Christ himself through the power of the Holy Spirit he, he goes on to say, Solomon says that he, he comes out of prison to be king. Solomon thought of a second young man who rose out of misfortune and obscurity to achieve great wealth and status. Yet those who come after him will not rejoice. The, the application is this. Those who achieve much and become famous, that fame will be short-lived, even if it lasts a person's entire lifetime. We see many people in Hollywood, but when they die, what's of it? What, what is it, what is it going to do for them? Many people aspire to be known. This mentality permeates our Western culture. Many people will do just about anything to achieve their five minutes of fame. And nowadays, it's so easy to do it because you have the the platform of, of, of the Internet and technology. You see, others sacrifice basically everything to pursue their dreams. It's very interesting as me drawing closer to my wife and trying to be engaged in the things she likes to do and, and, and watch. I watched The Voice the other night with her. Not a show I typically like. I tend to scorn at all those things. I, I really hate them. But anyways, <laughs> I was watching it with my wife. And there was a contestant, and this lady was 50 years old, and she was a seasoned backup singer. She had been doing backup uh, in the music industry for about 32 years. She had a ton of experience singing for about every genre you could imagine in the music industry. Of her own admission, she said that she has sacrificed so much to try to live out her dreams, missing so many times with her family, uh, choosing never to get married, never having children, all for her to aspire to be someone in the music industry. She said now it was her time to shine in the spotlight. And all I could think of as I watched this was what the Bible says, our life being like a vapor and it being gone so quick. When all is said and done, only what's done for God's kingdom with the correct motive will last. Everything else will fail. I'll end with this poem and and, uh, Michelle and Isaiah can come up. Some of you maybe know this poem. It's called Only One Life by C.T. Studd. I think this is a great way to end this, this portion of scripture. It says, Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one soon will its fleeting hours be done then in that day my lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat only one life twill soon be passed only what's done for christ will last only one life 
the still small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding my selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will I cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep, faithful and true, what er the strife, Pleasing thee in my daily life, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on the throne. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, t'was worth it all. Only one life, t'will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, help us to number our days. Help us to see the importance of squeezing every ounce out of every minute you give us of life so that we would live for your purposes, so that we would live building up one another in your kingdom so that we could be filled with joy and filled with strength and filled with purpose. Lord, may we not live idle lives that just deceive ourselves into thinking we're, we're doing something when we're actually doing absolutely nothing at all. And we're just wasting the talents and the gifts that you've given us. You want us to shine for your kingdom. So help us to do that. Father, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.